When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Well, more talk about the NHL returning this summer. You'll hear some comments from Gary Bettman. He spoke to Sportsnet's Ron McLean tonight and reports circulating throughout most of the day that Edmonton Rogers Place being considered as a host venue for whenever the NHL gets back to playing games. Now, of course, none of that is confirmed. The Oilers Entertainment Group uh, not commenting today other than to say that they continue to work with the NHL and the other 30 teams in the league to get hockey back. And Gary Bettman, you know, has, has reiterated numerous times, it's his job, the league's job, to look at all the possibilities, explore everything, check into everything. But, of course, they really don't know what is going to happen yet. But we did get some news today and we did get at least a little bit of clarification and we do know that uh you know gary bettman has at least tried to gather as much information as he could about alberta and perhaps edmonton premier jason kenny who today was giving the daily update along with the chief medical officer of health dr dina hinshaw giving the uh, coronavirus numbers update and other other storylines for that david staples from the edmonton journal asked What's going on with these uh, rumors about Edmonton being a venue? Is there anything you can clarify? Here was the answer. Well, I can say that I did receive a call from uh, NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman, um, who uh, wanted to ask some questions about Alberta's status in uh, combating COVID. And uh, uh, there was a very general conversation. Uh, we have not received a formal proposal of any kind. Um, I underscored that uh, uh, if, there w- if a proposal were forthcoming, we would obviously expect uh, uh, the league to prepare a very detailed uh, uh, plan to mitigate risk uh, and so uh, I can't really comment further um, I would just say that um, uh, obviously as we get into the summer we, we hope to be able to uh, to see somewhat more activity in our as part of our relaunch um, it, it's pretty clear to me that if something like that were to happen uh, we would not have uh, large crowds gathering in arenas um, but I gather the NHL is looking at at finishing the season uh, in arenas uh, for televised television purposes uh, but without large crowds whether or not we could accommodate that we do not yet know we have not yet uh, received a formal request and obviously we would turn uh, to the chief medical officer uh, for her advice Thank you, Premier. And I would just add to that that uh, we have very clear requirements under the public health measures that are currently in place. And so as we look at the future and look at that relaunch, those may shift and change based on our epidemiology and where our numbers are. And so whatever those orders are and the requirements are, we'd be looking to see a proposal that lines up with those. 
Okay, so there you have it. Gary Bettman has spoken to the Premier to see how Alberta is handling the pandemic. And as we know, to this point, the numbers in Edmonton are relatively low. Certainly there have been more cases in, in the Calgary region as we've gone through this. We'll see if that continues. Still a lot unknown. If the NHL is coming back, it's ultimately not their call. Alberta or whatever jurisdiction the NHL would want to play games in would have to meet the public health guidelines. But here's why Edmonton and specifically Rogers Place could make sense. The arena is relatively new. I mean, what, this was the Oilers' fourth season in the building, so it is modernized for all the television presentation and all that kind of stuff, and TV would be a pretty big part of this. You heard the Premier said it. We wouldn't have large crowds. I don't think there'd be any fans at all if the NHL does start up in July or August. Anyway, it has that. It has practice facilities because there's the downtown community rink at all. And remember, we're talking about potentially four, six, even eight teams all here in one city. So a lot of ice. Uh, you'll hear some of the Bettman clips today, but he referenced at one point, you, know, you might have triple headers in a building. So they, so they need a lot of ice. Uh, I, I mean, heck, maybe they could even warm up on the community rink and then come play in the big rink. Who knows? Uh, you got to have NHL dressing rooms and there's proximity of Rogers place to hotels because players are going to need to be quarantined and, and kept away from a lot of, uh, from other people and out of large groups themselves. So that's why Edmonton checks a lot of the boxes that the NHL might be looking for. I mentioned Bettman was talking to Ron McLean from Sportsnet. I was following this on YouTube today and Bettman said, yes, up to four locations for centralized hockey is a possibility. Among the scenarios we're looking at is is potentially as many as four uh, because we we need uh, a lot of ice. <laughs> and we've also concluded, and I know there's been a lot of rumors about this, um, we, we can't play in a small college rink in the middle of uh, a smaller community because if we're going to be centralized, uh, we need the back of the house that NHL arenas provide, whether it's multiple locker rooms, whether it's the technology, the procedures, the boards and glass, the video replay, the broadcasting facilities. Uh, those are the things that are in place in NHL arenas, and that's what we're going to ultimately need uh, if we're going to come back in a centralized basis and play multiple games a day. Okay, and then there he said multiple days, uh, games a day as well. Th- this, If this happens... And I feel like it's necessary to use the word if. And it's probably three months away from happening at the earliest in my mind. But that would be something. You know, a game at noon, a game at four, and a game at eight. (laughs) It'd be like all the minor hockey tournaments we used to play in when we were kids. Bedman with a little bit more on uh, the four sites, hypothetical sites that the NHL could use. Not necessarily divisional-based. It'll be four cities if that's the route we go. And by the way, all of this is contingent. Nothing has been decided. This is just part of the modeling I talked about mm-hmm. where we're making sure we're prepared for any eventuality. Maybe it'll be two cities. It's, it's, it's not something that we can predict right at this moment, but this is part of the contingencies. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, by division, although the centralization may be by division, but the particular location could be anywhere that isn't the hot spot and has what we need both in terms of the arena and having practice facilities. Because if you bring in seven or eight clubs to a particular facility and you're playing lots of games, 
uh, on a regular basis without travel. It does need to be ice for practice. All right. And, and the timing of how this might play out, play out is also very interesting. I, I would assume there would be some kind of quarantine before you put the players together and then they'd have to get ready to play. And this is, I mean, it would basically amount to some sort of a training camp. And Bettman touched on that today as well. We had a conversation with the Players Association and, and a number of players to discuss these issues preliminarily. Uh, and there was a sense that, you know, somewhere, give or take, probably more give, there needs to be at least three weeks of training camp. Uh, because again, when the players come back, they want to be in and we want them to be in game ready shape, most importantly, so that nobody gets hurt needlessly. So this is all very interesting today. Everybody obviously is is being careful what they say, as they should be, because there is so much unknown here. But the Premier said he talked to Bettman. Bettman has now ruled out the university rinks that had been bandied about in the last couple of weeks, like North Dakota, New Hampshire. They need NHL facilities. They need NHL cities. And he's talking, I mean, you heard that one clip, he's saying seven, maybe eight teams in one spot. So these are the things they're thinking of. And I, I would think if Gary Bettman says it publicly, well, I mean, look, he can always change his mind and the whole situation with the pandemic could change. But I would think if he's saying these things, he's comfortable saying them publicly and getting it out there and, and, and getting it discussed. So we, we have learned a little bit today. And by the way, I'm happy to hear from you tonight. 780-496-0063 is the number to both call and text. The thing I keep telling myself, and I've been telling myself this through the whole pandemic, especially when it comes to sports, is that none of this is imminent. I mean, it's interesting today we get the Edmonton story. It's interesting that, that uh, you know, Kenny confirms the phone call and, and, and Bettman talks a little bit more about this with Ron McLean. But none of this is imminent. This is not one of those situations where there's a rumor about something on Wednesday and then on Friday or Saturday it actually happens. I would think the NHL is still several weeks away from announcing anything definite regarding the completion or non-completion of the 2019-20 season. So we could be Heck, we could be into June or even July by the time the NHL says we feel comfortable doing this and the jurisdictions we're proposing to play games in are going to welcome us provided we follow the rules. And then he's talking about maybe a three-week training camp and they might try to finish the regular season and then you're into the postseasons. Then you're into the into the playoffs, which again, I don't think would be four best of seven rounds. I, I think they would probably do four best of five. Because, as he said, they want to play a complete next year, 2020-2021. They want to do a complete 82-game season next year with a full playoffs. Now, maybe they could start that into November and take the playoffs deeper into June. But that's why I think, you know, there's the, they shorten this regular season. They shorten the playoffs. Mike says playing hockey is BS. How can players hit? How can they sit on the bench? Where is the social distance? Well, Mike, that is an excellent question. And that is one of many questions surrounding this. So you could bring the players in and you could quarantine them and you could test them. And 
if, well, I guess you'd actually test them before you quarantined them and then you'd probably test them again and then see if they could start practicing and being around each other. So, you know, but there are a lot of questions. I, you know, I was talking about this last week. What if one player all of a sudden tests positive? Then that team's probably out of the playoffs or out of the competition if it's still a regular season. All the teams they played against might have to drop out as well because they might have to quarantine or there'd be a further delay to things. Let's take a, let's take another example. You know, Dr. Fauci said this last week, players would probably have to be tested quite often, maybe even weekly. So who wants to have their well, anybody in their life, I was going to say elderly person in their life, who wants to have any any person in their life who needs a test perhaps not get tested because Sidney Crosby or Connor McDavid or Jonathan Quick or whoever is going to be tested for the fourth time that month? How is that going to sit publicly? To me, that that's another obstacle. Here's another thing that crossed my mind. If you are going to finish the regular season, How excited are the Detroit Red Wings going to be to play two, three, four remaining games? And how much of an advantage would it be to the uh, Winnipegs and Columbuses of the world or whoever if they get to play Detroit or the teams that are so far out of it that reconvening for them is virtually pointless? <laughs> I mean, that's, a, that's another thing. Are, are you bringing all 31 teams back? There are some pretty interesting playoff races still going on. There are some teams that are way out of it. And so now with if they come back to play a few games, those games are even more important if they are shortening their regular season. That's another thing to consider, the whole competitive balance of this. I, look, I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying there are things that are going to come up as obstacles or potential problems down the road. And, and I, again, nothing is imminent here. Like this, this is, this is talking about into the summer. I think we're talking about July or August hockey at the earliest, because we do not know where this is going to go. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's good for Edmonton that, you know, that there haven't been a lot of cases. There still have been cases and there still have been deaths and that's tragic, but we don't know in a week from now what the numbers are going to be. And I mean, there were 306 new cases in Alberta today. And I, and I think, I think it would be a little arrogant for us to sit here in Edmonton and say, oh, well, we've got it beat because we don't know for sure if we do. We, we've seen how fast an outbreak can happen if you look at the Cargill story at the meatpacking plant out of southern Alberta. So to sit here and say, yeah, we know that eight weeks from now we can host NHL hockey, I, I don't think we can do that. I, I just think you have to keep monitoring it. It's it's interesting from a sports level. I'm sure it's exciting for many of you to be talking about actual games. But man, oh man, I'm sitting here thinking we are so far away from really knowing what can happen. And I still think we're relatively early in, in this pandemic. 780-496-0063, the number to call or text back after the break. NFL draft starts tomorrow, goes Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. We had Carter O'Donnell on the show last night from the Alberta Golden Bears, outstanding offensive lineman, Canada West All-Star the last two years, first-team All-Canadian this past season, second-team All-Canadian in 2018. He's been interviewed by 18 NFL teams. 
He could be a late round pick and he's going to be a first round pick, maybe even the first overall pick next Thursday in the CFL draft. Calgary picks first, uh, the Eskimos pick fourth. I don't think Carter O'Donnell will be on the board when the Eskimos pick fourth overall. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. 780-496-0063. We have a text from Jim as we're uh, talking about the speculation of Edmonton being a host city for the resumption of the National Hockey League season, potential resumption. Jim says, I believe if the Oilers weren't in the playoffs, there would be very little interest. Cancel the season for good. Look ahead to next season. That is from Jim. And uh, also got a message from Chad on Twitter. He says, read the NHL just keeps hanging on to an impossible dream. Well, maybe, but yeah, I mean, you got to like, look, it's, it's Gary Bettman's job to solve problems and have contingencies, not to throw in in the, throw in the towel. So yeah, I I mean, the, the college town, the college rink option was being bandied about a couple of weeks ago. And it appears that they've looked at it and looked at North Dakota or New Hampshire and wherever and said, we can't do it. We can't do it. You You know, we need NHL rinks. We need practice ice. We need big NHL arenas. Uh, the Big L says, Reed, uh, I agree with you that nothing is imminent. In fact, the reality is there likely won't be hockey for a long time from now. Travel and crossing borders, TV logistics, health management amongst players, staff, arena, and accommodation workers. It's unrealistic and clearly not a high priority against the backdrop of much more significant social health concerns. That is the Big L. And I got to hand it to the Big L. He's a very uh, diverse texture. He's often quite humorous, but he can come in with very thoughtful comments as well. And he says, uh, Reed, I put the radio on to listen to your NHL possibility update. The wife is super excited. Give Tara a big shout out. Okay. I got to, I got to back away from the mic and do my shout. Tara. I wonder if she cheers for the Ottawa. Red blacks. Could you still hear that? How, how are the acoustics in my spare bedroom, Kellen? Did that come through? They sound great, but is it Tara or Tara? Could oh, be Tara. Maybe I said it wrong. Well, either way, she gets a shout-out. Thanks for texting, Andy. We'll check in with Paul Sir from Basketball, Alberta. He has a national opportunity. That's when we get back. So to recap, Premier Jason Kenney said he did receive a phone call from NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman about how Alberta is handling the coronavirus pandemic. There was no formal request made to play games in Alberta, specifically Edmonton we're talking about here. Bettman did tell Ron McLean of Sportsnet tonight that they are uh, looking at up to four locations to centralize teams to finish the season. This would likely happen well into the summer if it does happen at all. And uh, Premier Kenny and Dr. Hinshaw both emphasizing that, uh, well, I guess any organization, but the NHL specifically in this case, would have to follow whatever public health guidelines are in place before they would be allowed to uh, play games or hold gatherings or anything like that. So, of course, one of the stories that uh, we keep an eye on as we move through this pandemic, the Boston Red Sox today. Uh, losing a second-round pick 
as uh, they are punished for sign stealing as well. Not as judge, not as serious as uh, as what the Houston Astros did, and uh, they're keeping their World Series title from a couple of years ago, but uh, more scandal going on there in Major League Baseball. Bantam draft today in the Western Hockey League. We'll have more on what the Edmonton Oil Kings did in a few minutes. This portion of the show presented by Furnace Family. Experience the Furnace Family difference. Your Furnace replacement specialist with over 500 five-star Google reviews. Call 7804-FAMILY or visit FurnaceFamily.com. Welcome back to the show. Good buddy of mine, the executive director of the Alberta Basketball Association, and uh, now in a new role with Canada Basketball, which we'll get into, it is Paul Sir. Paul, how are you doing, man? Doing fine. Living in uh, living the dream in, gro- uh, in Groundhog Day every day. <laughs> I am Sunny now broadcasting out in the morning. I am now broadcasting from a spare room in my house. <laughs> are you really? Yes, I've been at home for two weeks now. Holy cow! I didn't know that. Yes, well, I. Uh, you- you sound as distinguished as ever. Oh, thank you very much. Well, I got I got to hand it to uh, our, our crew at six thirty, Chad, and our engineers there, Grant, Sean, and Mike. They gave me a, a nice setup. I think the sound quality's been pretty good. So, if you hadn't noticed, that's uh, that's that's good to hear for sure. Hey, I'm uh, be- before we talk about what you're going to be doing with Canada basketball, uh, the Last Dance has debuted on Netflix. I think it's an eight part series on the mostly on the 97, 98 bowls, but it also gives the backstory. And in the first two episodes, a lot on Michael Jordan's early life and career and uh, a lot on Scottie Pippen as well. Can you give, can, can you give the context of how good Pippen was on that team? I mean, Jordan was the star, but I, I you know, I, I remember, you know, reading sports illustrated in the day and some people said, Scottie Pippen's the second best player in the NBA right now. He, he very well could have been. I I think Scottie Pippen was underappreciated at the time, and as time has gone on, I guess I've even realized how great the guy the guy truly was. Jordan was such an overwhelming force read that Pippen's greatness just got lost in his wake. I guess that would be the best way I could describe it. But the guy was, you know, six eight. Uh, 230, in, incredibly long, but really a smart player. One of the best, if not the best, wing defender ever in the history of the game. So, Scottie Pippen was fantastic and so instrumental in the Bulls' six championships. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> this series for people who love basketball, who certainly if they experienced it at the time, this is manna from heaven. It's unbelievable. Well, I, you and I have had this, this conversation on and off air. The 80s and the 90s in the NBA are quite interesting to me. I'll fully admit my interest waned in the aughts, and I, and I got rejuvenated with kind of Golden State, Cleveland, and obviously the Raptors the last, the last five or six years. That's just my journey as, as a fan and the interest level. But, and, I, and I think we should go back to the 84 draft Michael Jordan went third overall, and as the Oilers have found out, you can get some pretty good players third overall, like Leon Dreisaitl. But, you know, everybody says, how can he go first? But at the time, and the documentary touches on this, it was not absurd that Jordan didn't go first overall because the guy that went first overall was an outstanding player in his own right, and that was Olajuwon. Yeah, the the big joke uh, from the time was that Sam Bowie from Kentucky went second. 
and of course Bowie in the Portland tradition. And you don't know what it is how certain franchises can get snake bit, but they've had three seven footers with horrible foot problems in their careers way too early. And Bowie was one of those guys. And so he was taken at a time, though, and I think they explained it well in the documentary, big men were coveted then. A lot of people felt you're not going to win a championship with a high-scoring wing player. You needed to have the big guy inside. And Elijah of course, when Jordan was playing baseball, won two titles and is one of the greatest post players of all time. So you're absolutely right, Reed. It's not unheard of what happened at the time, but as great as people hoped Michael Jordan would be, no one had any idea he was going to become the player uh, that he became. It's very different than LeBron James. Everybody knew LeBron James was going to be great, and whether he's exceeded expectations or not, I don't know. But people did not expect what Michael Jordan brought to the Bulls to happen. Nobody forecast that at all. Talk to me a little bit about the coach, Phil Jackson, because it's easy to say, well, you had all these great players, just kind of make sure they're all getting their minutes and their shots and stay out of the way. But you still need the leadership and you still need the coach keeping them focused. Jackson was really a renaissance man as a coach at that time, Reed. Uh, He did things differently. He was not the old school scream and yell stereotype coach at all. He could be tough. But what he did that was very different from any other coach at the time and probably would even be unique today, the the coach that reminds me the most of him today would be Steve Kerr, is he would adapt principles, some fundamental principles based around the player's individualism. And, of of course, I, I could refer most obviously to Dennis Rodman and, you know, what a what a unique character, if that's the kindest way I could say it. But, you know, his his lifestyle, his life choices, all of those things, Jackson found a way to work around them and didn't have the hard and fast, uh, you got to do this in order to play with the Bulls, way of coaching. And he found a way to fit pieces and individuals together that built around Jordan. Yes, it was Jordan. Yes, it was Pippen. But the other pieces had to work really well, and there had to be a willingness on the part of the players to accept Jackson's leadership, uh, Jordan's insane competitiveness in order to make this work. So Phil Jackson deserves any accolade he gets for being able to hold that together. He never lost a championship series with the Bulls. Part of that's coaching. You give it all all the credit to Michael Jordan, but there were other pieces, and Jackson was a big one. I love how you use insane competitiveness yes. <laughs> to describe Jordan. Yes. And you still see that. I mean, I, I love the interviews on The Last Dance. He's sitting there with a glass of scotch and a cigar on the side table. <laughs> you can still, and you can still, you can still hear the fire in his voice. And, and like he criticized Pippen for Pippen's late summer surgery and complaining about you know his salary finally in his final year of his contract like i got the sense that that still eats at jordan over 20 years later i think anytime he feels someone didn't give their best to the team in order to help them win in that moment that was a letdown Uh, i thought that was exemplified in the second hour when pippen was out and the Bulls lost their first four games. 
and, and Jordan's tick. The guy, the you know preeminent player in the league, didn't care. He relished the opportunity to carry the team without Pippen, and he became and he went harder at his teammates in order to pull their performance up. It's really remarkable to to watch that and have this opportunity for folks today who may not have been able to be around it. And of course, we didn't see this at the time, but it, you knew it was going on. But to see it firsthand is really something quite special. Paul Sir joining us on Inside Sports. He's the executive director of the Alberta Basketball Association. Been doing a great job in that role for uh, 12 years now. And you're taking on another role here as well, the managing director of 3x3 Basketball Development for Canada Basketball. This is a sport we've been talking about a lot. You and I have talked about the uh, Olympic qualifying disappointment for how the Canadians women's team was uh, uh, excluded when when we were going to have Tokyo Olympics this year. Tell us what your role here is going to be with Canada basketball. What's the focus? And and I'll just add to your comments, but also the tremendous effort on the part of the Edmonton 3x3 team to to literally pull Canada's men and put them in a position to qualify. So there was the yin and the yang of that. Certainly the women's disappointment, but the men's success needs to be... I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't celebrate that as well. Uh, my, my, role, my role, Reed, is uh, to take the leadership position with, on behalf of Canada basketball, I think the, the best way to summarize it is to help develop 3x3 into a major part of the basketball landscape in the country. Uh, that will be in building out certainly international events, but building out grassroots programming in the communities, in the schools, where 3x3 is utilized as a way to play the game, to learn how to play the game, but also involve more uh, young people in particular, but all the way through adults in the game of 3x3 in ways they've never been uh, never been involved before. So what we want to do is we want to make it into its own discipline, into its own sport. And so I'm really uh, thrilled and honored to have this opportunity to take this leadership role and try to pull the nation together around 3X3 and integrate that into the basketball landscape. Well, I, I'm really happy to hear about this. And and I'll just ask the obvious spell it out for me type of question, Paul. Sure. Like if, if you had this job or somebody had this job six months ago, could have we maybe avoided the disappointment that the women's team had? Because the short story for people who didn't follow it is the Canadian women's team itself did well, but we didn't have enough Canadian women playing 3x3 overall. Like, is are, 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 I hope, like, are you going to help avoid some of these pitfalls now? 100%. I, I, I think everybody, um, it was a disappointment because the team did so well. The country as a nation, though, did not meet the, uh, did not meet the criteria. And that really is what it ultimately came down to uh, on the men's side, it's not like the men had hundreds and hundreds of players playing, but they had enough players playing with enough enough players playing to allow the men who had outstanding results on the world tour as well to qualify. We didn't have enough women playing. So definitely what will happen in the future, the rules are going to change, the regulations are going to change, but the main thing is we got to get kids playing. And we got to get people playing 
in a variety of ways. We're working on some some very interesting initiatives right here in Edmonton. And really what we're going to do is build on the Edmonton leadership in 3X3 Read mm-hmm. to template out opportunities for kids to play around the country. We have some exciting discussions about the possibility of 3X3 being used in high schools and junior high, maybe as intramural, but also maybe as another interscholastic sport. And that would be for boys and girls. So our focus will be on both genders, getting more active. The great thing about 3X3 is it, it's, it's easier to play. Everybody dribble passes and shoots. Everybody touches the ball. It's not like five on five uh, where you can get lost in it if you're not one of the outstanding players. You really can't hide in 3X3. And I have seen wonderful examples firsthand many, many times of kids that may not be outstanding five-on-five players, but having a ball playing 3x3. So to be able to bring that to both genders at all age groups across the country, uh, getting kids started young is is just a great opportunity that I relish and that I'm honored to have. And I'm going to work my butt off to really build the sport and have Canada be one of the great 3x3 nations in the world. Well, and, and I think it can be, and I'm really glad you're taking this on because you've been involved from, from the beginning and you've been very passionate about it, but and you've also been very honest about it. And, and, you know, again, we've talked about some of the highs and lows that the country has gone through. Now, I, I, with, with FIBA 3X3 itself, is it like most sports in the world, though, for the 2020 schedule where it's on hold, postponed, we got to wait and see? All of those. <laughs> Okay. All of those wonderful. <laughs> right. <laughs> We'd love to play, but we've got to postpone. We're going to have to wait and see. Yeah, all of, all of those things. They're, they're going through the same dynamics. I mean, think of this. The men's team, uh, to qualify for the Olympics, are supposed to play in India March 21st and 22nd. They were getting ready to fly to Serbia to train to, for India right before that, so a week before that. So they were ready to get on a plane on, I think it was the 14th of March, when FIBA canceled the 3X3 Olympic qualifier in India. Can you imagine these guys go to Serbia, then to India at this time, when the whole world explodes with the coronavirus? What what kind of risk that would have been? Yeah. So, yeah. So everything's on hold for the moment. Uh, We're... You know, all have our fingers crossed that good things start to happen and that a new normal will start emerging for 3X3 like all sports and that at the appropriate safe time, uh, uh, people can start competing again. All right. Well, well said. Paul, thanks for checking in tonight. We'll, we'll bring you on again. You're always a pleasure to talk to. All the best with Canada Basketball as uh, you take the role of Managing Director for 3X3 Basketball Development. And, of course, you continue with Basketball Alberta as well. Thanks for coming on, my friend. You're, you're welcome, Reed. One final thing. If you ever want to talk about the Jordan series, call me right away. And, by the way, the bird quote the other night of God disguised <laughs> as Michael Jordan is one of the classics. Yeah, Bird's, a, bird's a, a great quote for sure. We'll see you soon, man. Take care. All right. Uh, 780-496-0063 is the number of the text. We did a lot on that story at the time when the Canadian women's team, despite what did they win the last four tournaments, and then Canada didn't get invited to the qualifying tournament. Uh, we talked a lot about that. Uh, I mean, there's the, the Plouffe sisters, the two Edmontonians, were on that team. So maybe it was a bigger story here than in other parts of the country. But I, I know a lot of you 
uh, wanted to jump in that night. And former D-man Mark writing in, he says, hey, Reed, that qualification makes absolutely no sense. It would be like having the number one ranked team in the world and them not being able to play in the Olympics because no one plays the sport in that country. Obviously, my example is extreme, but it's still quite accurate given current qualifications. Well, yeah, it's extreme, and that's pretty much what happened, Mark. 780. out 630chat.com globalnews.ca more details there on the uh, nhl discussion today about playing uh, neutral site games in a centralized location and uh, premier kenny dr hinshaw responding to reports that maybe edmonton could host some games premier kenny saying he did talk to gary bedman but there was no formal request to play games here, but Rogers Place in Edmonton do appear at the moment to fit the bill of what Gary Bettman and the league might be looking for. Uh, WHL Bantam draft today. Oil Kings pick 20th overall. Their first round pick out of Medicine Hat. Dawson Seitz. Here's Oil Kings director of scouting, Jamie Porter. Paul Dawson is a, is a good sized, a dynamically skilled forward. We think he's an excellent skater. Uh, I've said it before, I think he had the best, uh, he has one of the best shots in the draft. Um, it was a unique uh, season for him. He was hurt significantly twice this year. So he didn't play a ton of games, but I mean, we saw him early and we saw him late. And, and uh, he wouldn't have been there if it wasn't for the injuries where we were picking. Yeah, he only played seven regular season games, five playoff games for his Bantam AAA team in Medicine Hat. But as Porter tells you, Sites will move to Edmonton for next season. He's going to play at least a year at uh, NAX, uh, the, the school prep program here in Edmonton. We, that was already set up before we drafted him. Um, so we'll have him right here in case we ever need him during the winter. And then I would, I'm sure that uh, he'll be ready to go the year after. Okay, so a little bit there on the Oil Kings Bantam draft. Tomorrow on Inside Sports, well, we are going to have some fun tomorrow. Ron Hextall will join us, former NHL goaltender and manager. Some memories of the 1987 playoff series. Uh, Full disclosure, because of Ron's availability, uh, this interview has already been recorded. It's a good one. So that'll be on tomorrow night. And Odell Willis. Former Eskimo, now BC Lion, will check in tomorrow as well. That'll be fun. We're on from 7 to 8. Always happy to have you tuning in. 6 to 7 as we take you through the pandemic is Global News Hour at 6. But Inside Sports is still here from you for you from 7 to 8. And I'm always happy to have you tuning in. Dave Campbell's the producer of the show. Kellen Kennedy is your studio operator. My name is Reed Wilkins. Have a great evening. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.